Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Tacticam. Tacticam is by far the easiest way to begin filming your hunts. Whether it's a budget-friendly solo or the 4K 5.0, Tacticam has something for everyone. Check them out at Tacticam.com. This year we're also working with Spartan Forge. You've heard us talk about them on the podcast. Spartan Forge is like the farmer's almanac on steroids of figuring out when you need to be in the woods. You can check them out at SpartanForge.ai. And right now they have a 14-day free trial. Uh, So you go on there, sign up, and you can see what the deer movement historically looks like, the best days that you should be in the woods, peak rut, all of that information, predominant wind, SpartanForge.ai. And once you decide that you like it enough that you're going to purchase the app, you can get 25% off by using code BOWHUNTER. You can check that out at SpartanForge.ai. This week's episode, we talk with our good friend Greg Litzinger about what drives you after success. So Greg's killed a few good deer this year and uh, is still grinding hard after it, trying to get what, what he calls one of these salt marsh unicorns. And we talk about tips for late season, tips for hunting the marshes, uh, a little bit of ground hunting. Um, Greg's always got great insight about hunting public land and pressure and dealing with, you know, the ups and downs that come along with it. So you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. Uh, Real quick, just got to give a shout out to our Patreons. Uh, Patreon is a crowdfunding for podcasters. Uh, That money goes directly towards new equipment and all sorts of different stuff. I'm actually recording this on a new uh, podcast recorder. Um, So we're going to see how this works out makes it a lot easier for me producing the show um and we couldn't do that without guys like you know our patrons and you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash bowhunter chronicles podcast or bowhunter chronicles podcast.com but 99 percent of that money goes back into giveaways so we do quarterly giveaways um this quarter we are giving away a mystery ranch sawtooth uh, with the lid, uh, same pack I used on my Colorado elk hunt. Really liked it. Wanted a little bit more space, so I did buy the lid for it. And I had polled everybody to see what things they wish they, you know, if if they if money was no object, you know, what are they not spending money on? So like one of the things that came up was rain gear. Nobody wants to spend the money on expensive rain gear, but everybody needs it. So we're going to be giving away a set of the Badlands Bale rain gear as well. So we're giving away the pack. We're giving away the rain gear. Um, and then we also are giving away a pro pack from base map. So right now, I don't know if it's still going on. Base map had their black Friday deal. Cyber Monday uh, was 30% off. So base map is 30 bucks for the year. Uh, if you use code Chronicles when you sign up, uh, you get 20% off, so it's $2 a month, 24 bucks for the entire year. The layers are awesome, uh, but we're giving away one of those pro memberships, and they send you a hat and a shirt and all the stuff that goes along with that as well. So if you're interested in that, you want to slide us 5 bucks and have a chance to win you know, basically a $500 pack, $250 set of rain gear, you can check that out at bullhunterchronicles.com. Just click on the Patreon link or go to patreon.com forward slash Chronicles podcast. But if that's not something that you're into, um, you know, just tell somebody about the podcast. Uh, 
let them know, you know, you like what we're doing. Um, you got to check these guys out. They're just like us. They, they're worse than us <laughs> and they got a podcast either way. Um, leave us a review and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're putting up a bunch more stuff, uh, on YouTube and we've also got a new series coming up. So we're going to do some, uh, some tips and tricks type, uh, things that it's going to be a weekly podcast coming up, starting the first of the year, uh, going from, you know, getting a new bow to kind of setting it up. Uh, we're going to have John uh, kind of spearhead that, and you'll be able to find all that stuff to, on our YouTube page. So if you go there and subscribe. Um, but either way, just tell somebody about the podcast, leave us a review, and enjoy the episode. Thank you for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Bow Hunter Chronicles podcast. Adam and John sitting here in the studio. It's been three to four inches of snow since daybreak and wow. uh, starts to get a little little down. I mean, I'm excited for the hunting <laughs> portion of it, but the the driving in the snow and the sleet um, is no fun. That chuckling that you're hearing in the background, that is our good friend, Greg Litzinger. How are you doing today, Greg? What happened? You, uh, you guys getting any of that snow yet? Yes. No, it's. 60 degrees here today. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, the salt trucks are already out on the road today. It's like, son of a bitch, come on. Just let, it's going to rain tonight, so just let it let it melt <laughs> on its own. It was, uh, it, was, it was colder in October than it was this whole month of November. It's it been sucked, a screw year. You know? I was up in the UP, f- like, the week before our gun opener and normally it's like last year where there was 10 inches of snow on the ground. Like I shot a doe on the way up to camp and it was, I mean, literally 10 inches of snow this year. It was 67 and 68 degrees in the evening yeah, when awful. I got, when I got back to my truck, like at dark, it was still, you know, almost 70 yeah. degrees and that's in that's their upper like peninsula. The worst. Yeah. Well, yeah. Especially that far North. You're like, it should never be 70 degrees. Right. Maybe in August, but not November. <laughs> right. We were up there in July, and it wasn't even that freaking warm, you know? Like, <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> so Greg is one of probably the the hardest grinding guys. Yeah. A humble, has a great, uh, uh, I think, attitude, good sense of humor, very uh, much like us. I mean, he kills a lot bigger deer than we do, but he has that same self-deprecating, like, understands yeah. that public land is going to be whatever it is. So you're going to get out there and you're going to have a dude cut a four-wheeler trail right to your honey hole. Yeah. <laughs> That's always a pleasant time. It's like, hey, thanks. You know, and the, the, the sad part about it, like those those moments and there was that one stand, it was like a, a two-man ladder stand, like not far off. It's probably a guy and his son. And that's the shittiest part. Because that kid's learning to cheat from Jump Street, you know, and it's like that's just awful for the future of hunting. Because yeah. I, I think fathers, like we, you know, because I got kids, and it's like I, I want you don't want your kids to have to suffer like you did, so to speak. But at the same time, how my dad, like we, we grew up, like it was it sucked hunting. It was very little property and very little deer, and you worked for every deer you got. But I'm glad I went through that. Like, I, I look at my kids, it's like, I don't know if I, 
if they get to the hunting age, they want to hunt, like, well, they're going to be hunting with me. I don't know if I could resort to stuff like that or try to make it easy for them. You know, I, I don't think it's very, it's, it's not going to build your character much, you know, especially a teenager or, or like a, a new hunter. I don't think it's a, a very good idea, personally. Yeah, but it could I, be wrong. I'm I, wrong I, a lot, you know. But. I was listening to a, a podcast today with uh, I, our buddies on the Chasing Tales podcast, Walt, and he was talking to Warren Womack, <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was talking about, you know, getting out there and you know, seeing his first deer and he was super excited about it. And Walt said he had kind of had like the same experience. And, you know, I've, you know, my dad, when he listens to the podcast, he's like, man, you give me so much crap. You don't, you know, I'm just, you know, such, such a bad role model or whatever. Yeah. And, and it, this is not the case at all. I mean, I was thinking about it when I like came up hunting from the first time that I hunted with a bow in my hand, like by myself, like I saw a deer. I mean, we had a bait pile, but I mean, there was deer directly underneath me, and I like there was deer on the bay pile at 15 yards, and I was like, "It's too far! It's too far!" Like I, yeah. I literally <laughs> shot like straight down and missed the first sit ever. And but I was just thinking about that. Like I, I, I saw deer from the first time, and we also have property like up in the UP, which at the time this wasn't in the UP, but um, that had the highest population of deer you know, per, per square, square mile in Michigan. So like every mm-hmm. time I, I mean, from go, I didn't ever have to like, we never pursued big bucks because you just had to step into the woods and you'd see deer. So it was like, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to just shoot the deer that are in front of you than like go out there and try and get one, you know, and like learn how to, right. How to. Right. And, and, and so I, I completely get what you're saying. And that's, what's fun about this for me is that like, you know, marrying into this family with John and his dad and, grizzly adams and you know my father-in-law it's like freaking these guys like like his you know frank's living room is like literally the room of death and it's like yeah. steelhead and brook trout and turkeys yeah. and deer and you know they might not be the biggest deer but they're they're mutants and yeah uh, it, it's just an interesting you know that's an interesting take on it like because john is the the most uh excitable guy when he runs into other hunters or other sign or, or whatever when we go out hunting together. So <laughs> it's nice to see your like very dry humor, like coldly portraying it as like, there, there they are again, again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just get, I get like frustrated, obviously. I mean, it, and I have to say, you know, it's public land. It's not my property, whatever. It's just that you start putting in time and then all of a sudden you find a good spot and I've said this before in our podcast, like, I don't care where you go in these woods in Michigan. I mean, it happens all, like, every time. You're, you're out and you're looking at a spot, like, oh, man, this is getting awesome. You look up and you see, like, a stand that's probably older than, like, a tree that had stuff nailed in it, like, 40 years ago. Yeah. You know, it was a good spot mm-hmm. then and it's still a good spot. But there's not a place that you're going to go in these woods that, that someone hasn't hunted before. You know what I mean? For the yeah. most part. And trying to get away from the people and then, you know, you, you do get a good spot, you see some good sign and then all of a sudden, like what happened to me right before gun, before the gun season opened, I, you know, I'd seen a decent buck out in this marsh and all of a sudden I get back from the UP and I look at it and there's a, someone had put a tree stand up or, you know, a big like ladder stand right in the middle of the bedding area in this marsh. Mm-hmm. And I was like, <laughs> yep. yep. 
And you knew it took more than one person to get this big ass homemade welded up steel stand out there and traipsed around and cutting into the trees. I'm like, well, this spot screwed for at least they probably won't kill that buck because he's, you know, in the next county. But Yeah. You know, but so I just get excited that's, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's it's pretty common around here. Like our uh muzzleloader season starts I think Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday next week. And it's real difficult, uh, the pattern deer this time of year, especially the does, because so many people flood the woods because we got a short muzzleloader season, then there's like a, a week break, and then our six-day firearm. Then we got a bunch of doe days and muzzleloaders. December's basically all gun, like 20-some days of, of gun hunting. So everybody's in the woods. All the people that don't bow hunt are putting out their bait piles. Like a majority put out bait piles. So you get those patterns. In the middle of November, oh, they're going to come through here. These bucks going to do this, and you, you sit a spot for two days. You're like, what's going on? And then you know, you're walking out. There's you know fresh lanes cut, ladder set, and a bait pile. Well, those does they just bed off the bait pile, 50, 60 yards. Right. So it changes. The patterns are constantly changing. Their bedding are constantly changing. I I don't really like hunting in the middle of November around here because it's I mean it's ten times harder than it needs to be, um, and I don't necessarily want to cut somebody's bait pile off i i, I used to i'm like oh screw you guys i'm gonna cut you off i i just i'd rather not you know and so it's very challenging for me like it, it's really it's a good time to be in the woods the camera intel's there like deer moving but man it's just those are just bedding just just random spots and it's just like you gotta get super lucky <laughs> yeah, it's, it's difficult enough. It is. You got to have a little bit of luck to begin with, but then you have so many new food sources in the woods in a short amount of time. These deer are just like it's a smorgasbord. This guy does sweet potatoes. This guy, this guy does flavored corn. This person does apples. So the deer's like, oh fuck it, I'll just eat all around you. And they got it changes their whole uh, pattern. And you're like, I don't get it. Like I don't understand. <laughs> their scrapes will end up being somewhere else. And I mean, it's it's a it's a very challenging time to be in Jersey. Uh, in the heavily prep, you know, hunted areas, it's a good challenge. You know, it makes you realize like I'm not that good or, or slick, you know, at the same time, it's frustrating. So one of the things, you know, Greg has been one of the frequent guests on the vitals live. So we've had a lot of different conversations and time to talk through some of this. And uh, you're having a great, what I would consider a great year. I don't know how it, stacks up for you but that's kind of what i wanted to get into was like what has been your best year ever like can you take us through like the best year that you've ever had the best year i've had was probably one year i killed three bucks it was the first year i really killed a a, a little bit larger deer than normal you know it's a two and a half um but i killed Two, two and a half, and then a big year and a half, all from the ground. You know, I shot one at 40 yards, I shot one at 20, and then I shot one at three feet, all in a span from October 16th to like November 11th. It was super, you know, that was, you know, like I, I watched the hunting public and Zach and all these guys from, from the ground. Like I did that a lot, you know, because. So you're hunting the reeds and marsh and stuff. You know, you've got to, you know, like the, I was working seven to three at the time. So you got to 
you know, an hour before dark, basically. So I wouldn't even go to a tree stand. I'd just go sit in the next to a tree. And for that season, I had more deer and bow range. I, I became a better hunter, you know, better bow hunter. Uh, and, you know, I said I killed three bucks. And I killed, like, two does on top of it. I think I killed five or six deer that, that year all from the ground. And, you know, it was pretty it's pretty cool. You know, I got the, the two are mounted and the one's your amount. So I do have them like on the wall. So it's pretty, you know, I look at them and I remember like the, the two mornings I shot the one and the night I shot the one at three feet, which is, you know, insane. Thing was grunting after dough and I was sitting on this big oak tree. I'm on one side, he comes in, you know, and I can see nose and antlers. And I'm like, oh my God. And I kind of like out of fear, just lean back and pull my bow back. I basically probably could have poked him in the eye and I'm shooting like right in his throat. You know, I kind of like blew him out and, uh, yeah, you know, I was shooting really tiny broadheads at the time. So I just started shooting really distance, a little one-inch three-blade. And that thing burned right through him, and that deer, I mean, he ran like 300 yards, but blood was just everywhere. You know, he was all rutted up. But that was probably my coolest bow hunting moment uh, as far as, like, shot-wise, you know. So I was, like, off the stool, like, leaning back. Like, I was going to, like, fall off the stool. I'm like, this deer's going to, like, because he was all rutted up. You hear the stories, they're going to attack you. So I thought this deer's just going to, like, maul me. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that was, I mean, they they weren't my biggest, but that was probably the, my best season as far as sits in the woods, kills. And, uh, like I said, I, I shot the one that was 40 yards, which was really far for me at the time, but I was practicing at like 50 yards. And I mean, I pinwheeled this deer at 40 yards and he didn't go like you know, 40 yards. It was great. You know, I shot him at 40. He went about 40. Well, that's really cool. Like to, to hear that. Because, I mean, you're saying that these aren't your biggest deer ever, and that's not what, yeah. it's it's more of the story, right? Yes, yes. And the evolution as a hunter, like, that was the first time where I was passing, like, the year and a half old bucks. Like, yeah, I'm, I want something bigger. You know, and I, I shot the one, like, a big wide six. You know, and then I shot the eight, I don't know, like a week later or whatever, I think. So, it was like, it just kept getting, and that was, I felt if the, if the deer wasn't as big as that eight that I, that I killed, I wasn't going to shoot it. So it was like that step where I, I, I was like, all right, I'm stepping my game up. Yeah, they weren't the, you know, you know, deer might only be 80 inches or so, 85 inches maybe. I, don't, I never scored it, but it was like that two and a half decent body. And I'm like, I killed him from the ground, you know, and I had other deer. Like I, I had an opportunity on a monster the same morning I shot the eight, but that it didn't play out you know uh to my favor but it was like hey, i can do this you know that 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 burst of like i got this you know and i never shot anything under that uh ever again really so it was like that like i said that that stepping stone where i want to kill bigger deer and I, I scouted i shot my bow like i did all the, the due diligence but i really like ramped it up in the off season you know back when there was an off season for me and I made it my mission just to shoot a better deer. And I think the following year I didn't shoot anything because I was looking for a certain caliber of deer, like two and a half year olds, you know, and I went, you know, not for lack of trying, you know, I did pass up some good deer, but it was nice knowing I can, you know, kill bigger deer, deer that people go, wow, it's a big deer, you know, cause at the time, you know, they're pretty good deer, you know, for, for the area. 
you know, it was right when we started implementing that, you know, 3.1 side antler restrictions. So, you know, it was, I think, right at the beginning of that or like a year into that, I, I shot these deer. So two years later, it's a lot more bigger deer around because, well, they're allowed to get older. Yeah, one of the things, like I said, why, why I wanted to ask you that is because, like I said, you're having a, a banger year this year, you know, not without its ups and downs. But yeah. we talked a lot about, um, like, motivation. Like, so, you know, to, like, for myself, like I said, I shot a, like, like that same caliber of, you know, two-year-old bucks, like, you know, almost mm-hmm. 100 inches. Um, and the motivation, you know, so now I've got another tag. I've tagged out in Michigan one time in my whole life. So it's not mm-hmm. like. I've got this other tag like burning a hole in my pocket because like there's years where I don't kill one deer, let alone two. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. I, I think I read something earlier today on the on the podcast, something about that or on our Instagram that you were gonna get out the boomstick. Well so that tells me that you're well I tag's burning the hole in your pocket pocket. Well I, <laughs> I, I so I do I do have a doe tag for Newago County, and I have this camera that's been soaking out there that's got a really nice buck on it. But this this spot, I, I would imagine, like if you, I don't know, you see like the Dan Infault type stuff with the big like cattail marshes and stuff. This is like mm-hmm. a gun hunter's dream. Like it's this big oak ridge that overlooks this marsh bedding, but it's probably a uh, hundred yards across of like a a grass field or like some sort of weird, like on the aerials, it looks, I thought it was like a, a marsh or like cattail marsh or something. But when I got out mm-hmm. there, it was, there's no water. I imagine if it was like a super wet year, it might be kind of mucky, but that mm-hmm. it's not like that at all. Like, so when I got out there boots on the ground, it wasn't at all like what I was looking for. And I've got like three trees set up where I could shoot where, where I think I can shoot with a bow you know the where I would where I would bow hunt it, but what about ground? We were just talking. Well, the, the this that's the thing is like I'm so intrigued by I've got this other spot where I had the on that post that I put out there, I had like six or seven does just come milling around like right in front of this camera and all night it's a cell camera, so it was like in real time. I'm like, holy shit! Like it's like a parade <laughs> of deer like just hanging out in front of my camera and, and all, there's no bait or anything no we have no we cannot bait. no no so and there's no and like all night long i just moved the camera like literally 40 or 50 yards from where it was where i was getting like one or two pictures and then when i went in to move the camera like to pull it like 50 yards away there's like this giant crossing and tons of fresh tracks so i was like well maybe i'll drop it there but that property is the one where i would like to to kill one from the ground like i'm I'm going to go back in there on on Thursday, uh, Thanksgiving morning, and that's a bow-only place, so I don't have to worry about being shot or shot at or anything like that because it's, it's still our gun season. So, And Thanksgiving is notoriously a deer drive type. So, yeah. But so if you're on the other property – you're going to be more protected if you have a gun with you instead of your bow. It's gonna, it's, it's gonna be, it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be muzzleloader season. So there's, I'm, I'm assuming that there's gonna be less guys. They're gonna be have have already pulled their deer camps. It's way the frick back. Are you there. going That's out why there with like a flintlock muzzleloader then too? No, God, oh, no, a real rifle. Yeah. Oh, a rifle. Oh. <laughs> well, th- th- this this is where I took this is where I took 
Uncle Frank last year because I wanted to jump shoot some deer. Like I tried to do my own little drive, and it almost worked. Um, but he's just had such a shit season the last couple of years. Like he he hasn't killed a deer in two or three years, and it, it's just. I thought he killed one first thing last year. No, he missed one. He hit a branch, oh, and then right. he missed a booner, and then he didn't that's see right. two deer in Missouri. Um, he's missed three eight points this year, and and hit one that he didn't recover. Like it's just been terrible. But anyways, <laughs> what I was saying is that it's very unlikely for me at this stage of the game to say that I'm going to kill two bucks with my bow like I have every other year. So my motivation to get out there, I mean, I'm shitting in high cotton right now because I got a yeah. <laughs> a good buck, you know, that I killed. Like, And I, I guess I don't feel like in any way, shape, or form like you were saying, like, like I got this. And like we talked mm-hmm. about before, I, we haven't really gone into it on the podcast other than I screwed it up and we have to come back to it later is that I got to full draw on a bigger buck than the one that I already killed this year. And I was kind of in the right spot. So in that sense, at that spot, I feel like if I had killed that deer, I'd have felt like maybe I've got this figured out or like I did learn something. But at this point, I feel like I just got lucky. And the odds of me getting lucky twice in one year are not there. So, you know, there's a, I do not have that, like the confidence to be like, yeah, I'm, freaking Billy badass hunter, you know, but for like yourself, you know, so you've been on good deer, you've, uh, killed two good deer and I want to get into that, but I want to talk about the motivation to continue going out when, you know, we're doing this podcast right now at six Eastern time, because you have to be to work at one thirty in the morning. And then to still yeah. think about deer hunting on your days off and, and things like that, when, you know, 90 five percent of the population is like fuck this i need to sleep so yeah it, the the motivation i guess is uh think you're if you're passionate about something you don't really necessarily need to be motivated you know it's uh, uh that's probably the, the the best way i can put it like i'm always thinking about deer even probably when I shouldn't be, like at work, you know, I'll be like thinking about, or like now it's gets Onyx maps and base maps, all these things. It's like you have all this, and then this, the, the YouTube, there's so much information at your fingertips. Like it's hard not to be into deer. It's like, oh, look, sweet. It's like, you know, 20 years ago, you need a magazine, you know, and you can't really, like now I got a phone. It's like, ah, oh, like I'll put earbuds in at work. Like I'm talking to somebody and I'm really like reading an article or watching a video on YouTube or something. It was like, oh yeah. Yeah, my boss sees me. I'm like, yeah, phone. I'm on, I'm talking on the phone. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. But meanwhile, like I'm listening to a, a YouTube video or you know, from somebody trying to learn something. Like it's so. But to, to stay motivated, like I said, it, I'm just passionate about it. Like I, you know, hunting's a a, a unique uh, thing where you can always be better. Like there's not like a time limit. Like sports, there's a time limit. They'd be good at baseball. Be good at football. There's a short window that you can be great or good at something and then you know at times like yeah you're not fast enough you're not strong enough but like deer hunting and fishing it's like sometimes you can you can always get better you know there's always something to learn and you don't need the biggest fastest strongest smartest you just gotta just be determined you know to want to take it to that next level and i think that's where a lot of people fail is 
they're part time. They don't. It, it's not full time. You know. You, you, I mean, now with social media, you can check somebody's feed. If they're not talking about deer, you know, three hundred sixty-five days out of a year, then it's, they're part time. You know, if you always see them in summertime, they're if, if all their posts is about fishing, they're part time. You know, they do it. They they're a full time outdoorsman, but hunting is like I hunt during hunting season. You know, and then fish. I fish during fish season. Like for me, I had to give up fishing pretty much to do, take my hunting to the next level, and that was hard because I love fishing. Like I hardly ever fish anymore because I just don't have the time. Like, do I want to kill a big deer or catch fish? Mm, I want to kill a big deer. So I gave up something I love for something I love even more. Well, I gave up fishing a long time ago, but I didn't. (laughs) Yeah, because you didn't love it. (laughs) It hasn't helped me kill deer. I can tell you that. (laughs) Well, yeah, like like a lot of people want to be great at at, like a lot of things, and it's hard. Like it's really hard. Like and like now I got a family. It's it's even harder being you know people that have family, kids, or like a a demanding job. Like like you you can't do it all, and to be really good at 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 five different things in life, it's impossible. You know. uh, it's just, at least for me, I, I, I'm not that talented where I could be good at being the best father, than the best husband and fish and shoot 3d and compete in 3d. Like I'm, I didn't even compete. You know, I'm probably not going to compete 3d for a while because family you know, obligations. Like I, I give stuff up, you know, but my wife's going to allow me to go hunting. Uh, cause she's pretty rad. She might not agree with it sometimes, but she, she understands like it's a calling, you know, it's, that I can't not, you know, answer the call, if you will. So what do you say to guys like myself that are super passionate about deer hunting, but they it doesn't amount to, like, that level of success? It's because you're ready to put your bow down and go out well, with a gun. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, uh, su- success is a, you know, it's, I guess you call it like a relative term. Like, if you define success by inches, you know, um, you're always going to come up short, basically. There's always going to be somebody that's going to kill a bigger deer. You know, it's like you know, people with money. You're, you're you're chasing something that you really shouldn't be chasing. Like for me, I don't care. I mean, I don't have one deer in a record, record books. I don't have one Pope and Young deer. They're all they're some of them are close, but I don't have my name in the record books. But they're trophies. Like I, 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 yeah. Like I, I chase it because it's like it's a it's a mature animal for the area. Like it's a step above, you know, and, and if your area say a hunter and a steer is big, cause you got gun season and those whoppers are anomaly, you know, like some areas I hunt, like in, in the salt marsh, there's one big deer. Like I'm literally going, I'm chasing a unicorn. You know, I might not ever kill that unicorn, but I'm going to give it my best. The odds of me killing that deer is like, you know, 0.0001%. Other areas, there might be three one twenties or three one thirties running around. Well, the odds are greater in those areas, but that's about as big as you're going to get in some areas. But if you live in an area where hundred deer is big and you can kill something that's 90 to a hundred, like you're killing a mature animal. Like that's the end game, you know, trying to shoot something that's mature and old, be it a hundred inches or 140 or 90 inches. If it's two, three, four years old, like to me, that's what I'm after. You know, when you see those deer, it's like, that's probably a three or four year old deer. I'm going to shoot it. I'm going to, you know, I, I can do something a lot of people can't do. And you're going to eat tag soup a lot. Let's say that much. <laughs> there's, a, yeah, there's a lot of seasons. It's like, I, I went three years without, I think, draw my bow back 
uh, on a buck because I just didn't see anything that was old enough. And that was frustrating. You know, frustrating as all hell. But you just keep going. It's like, all right, I didn't get, you know, you can say, yeah, I'm not good enough. Then how can you make yourself good enough? You know, and if you got to, you know, it's good to be humbled and get your ass kicked. You know, you're either going to learn from it, you know, or, or complain about it, basically. In, in my mind, you know, I can, I can make all excuses in the world. If I didn't kill a deer, what can I do to kill a deer? If I got to read more, scout more, you know, and your seasons are constantly changing. If you're hunting how you hunted last year, you're already behind the eight ball. That deer already knows what you're going to be doing. You know, and that's the, the aggressive tactics of like Dan, Andre, some of these guys, the, the hunting public are super aggressive because you, you, you gotta be like, if you're going to be sitting on the sidelines, like waiting to get into the game, you can be waiting a long time. man. <laughs> right. And so like, so obviously I talk a lot about like, my goals and failures and like aspirations and things like that. John, what is your like motivation for the season? Or like, what are your goals or like, where are you at? Like at, at this point? I just want to, I mean, I'll shoot it. I mean, I seen some nice bucks up North and stuff. I'd like to get back up there, but I'll probably just end up shooting, you know, a doe or something or two. I mean, I don't really care to shoot a small buck. I mean, you, I mean, Obviously, mm-hmm. that's it's always been my. I got enough horns and stuff. I don't even have mounts in my house. They're still in my dad's old house. But it's like after my, I put everything into my Montana trip this year. I mean, obviously, I mean three weeks out there and chasing them, all those animals. And, but my motivation right now is to get back. I have to be honest that I was slacking a little bit. Normally I shoot my bow a lot and with everything going on, trying to get stuff ready, uh, obviously getting the bow late. I've been struggling with target panic again. And so I need to get back. I need to get my bow. Like I need to build my confidence back into my equipment and myself. And so my motivation right now is to get back to shooting good. Cause I, I shot at a coyote up in the UP and I, I mean, I did misjudge. I hadn't even like judged the distance over there. I th- I thought it was close to forty yards, but it wouldn't have mattered. I admittedly freaking I punched the trigger on a coyote. Or what the what the hell, you know? <laughs> and it's just that it all started, you know, with you know my trip out west. Everything was just kind of like I'm not making excuses. I've just completely failed, you know. What I mean, out there, and the confidence just drained out of me and that's for me it's a big factor i think it i think it is for a lot of people if you if you don't have confidence in your equipment and yourself shit goes the wrong way so i need to i'm gonna work on that that's my motivator right now so if i get a chance to get out i need to just kill some shit and get the confidence back so if if you know if i went out and a, a 150 come out in front of me or, or like some monster buck, I'd probably just blow it again. I'd shit my pants and Forrest Gump it or something again. <laughs> so I think, I think it hap- that happens to more people than they'd like to admit, but 
I'm admitting it right now. I've I've lost confidence and I'm failing. Well, I think you know that that and and Greg, you can probably speak on this a little bit, not necessarily from like a target panic type thing, but like the opportunity type thing. So I think the people that don't like that are that are part time or that are you know that that have limited time and they want to try to maximize the time that they do have you know i i know that i've fallen victim to this and it's it was usually leading up to you know when i did kill a deer with a bow but the first shot that i would take on a live animal like i would screw it up because i would think in my head that this was my one opportunity like you know, I'm my one opportunity. Don't fuck it up. Yeah, and like yeah. instead of saying like this is what I need to do to succeed, I'm saying don't screw it up, don't screw it up, don't screw it up, and you're already in the wrong type of mindset. And I'd imagine that you know that shooting targets, you know, kind of like under those pressure situations when you are shooting in tournaments and stuff like that. If you're saying don't mess it up, then you're you're already yeah, you're, put yourself. You're in your own head at that point. Yep. Yeah, you got. I mean, you you you're planting seeds in the ground. You know, if you plant, don't miss. You're watering that seed. That's going to grow. You know, or if you plant the seed, this thing's fucking dead. And you're watering that thing. There's not. You know, uh, there's nothing that you, you basically can't do when a deer comes in the in the view. You know, like with that buck, I lost in PA. You know, I missed him. Yeah, it's 23 yards. You know, he dropped down, and I got a shot at him, you know, and I ended up shooting him, like I said, in the, in the liver and never found him. Like, I was hurt. You know, like it, it pained me. Like, it hurt me. And I seen another deer, you know, when that buck I killed came in. There was no way in hell that deer was getting out of that little pocket alive. Like, that was my mindset. I was like, I feel sorry for next year that comes in because I was super motivated. And, I mean, that, that buck I shot this year was probably, I mean, that has to go down as one of my coolest shots with the bow I, I've had in a long time. Because I was, like, full draw, swinging from the saddle side to side, swinging around the tree, you know, all out full draw and squeezing, you know, and I ended up shooting between these trees. Like, there was no, no, mind, no, no question in my mind that I wasn't going to kill that deer. I was like, I was going to make the best shot possible, and I literally made the best shot possible. You know, like a lot of guys would, you know, look at that shot, the deer I lost, and view on that like the old can't cry over spilled milk mentality. You know, we're going to lose deer from time to time. You just got to just write it off. It sucks, but you just got to let it go. You know, like I don't even really even talk about that deer I missed that much or I lost because I don't want to reinforce that you know moment so to speak i just use that moment it's like all right no, it's not happening again you know i'm gonna i i need to be better you know because i don't want that deer to suffer or or make a shitty shot because i felt rushed or or you know thinking about something i had really no control over something in the past so you know best thing to do is just especially when a deer comes in just think what you want to happen aim 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 you know, breathe, you know, go through all those little, whatever it is, cues that you got to use. But if you say don't miss or don't fuck this up, you know, there's a 50% chance you're going to miss your fucking up. Mm -hmm. 
or or you're screwing with a camera trying to get all the t- cameras turned on and, and then your camera mm-hmm. arms screwed up and it's freaking drifting not saying that's an excuse but it, it that shit all plays a factor into your mental you know yeah. mental game for me like for filming when i was filming like i tried filming that deer i shot this year it was impossible yeah because he was moving around so much i'm like i don't care about the camera you know, i would kick that thing off the tree but especially like during the rut it's hard to film during the rut you know self-film the guys that do it it's, it's pretty cool but when i was filming and killing the deer in october you know i like it because it doesn't allow me to focus on the horn so to speak Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm trying to anticipate where the deer is going to be. And I got the camera, I'm looking at the deer corner of my eye, like the camera becomes center focus for the time being. So I can't look at the deer and get, you know, get that, you know, buck fever, you know, get the adrenaline, you know, the shakes or whatever. I get the shakes after I shoot a deer. Oh, <laughs> That's yeah. when I fall apart. <laughs> yeah. It's funny that you say that because that deer that I killed on camera, that's exactly what it was. There was so much other stuff going on that it like completely took me out of that. Like, Holy shit. This is probably like the fourth biggest deer I've ever seen in Michigan. Like walking in right here. I I didn't even like, it was just like, and, and you know, when I look back at the video and like when I'm up in the tree now, like range and stuff and looking at different trees, like I shot that deer at 17 yards. And like when I'm ranging stuff, like with my range finder, like as I'm getting set up now, I'm like, shit, that's where 17 yards is. That deer was like, fucking close. that was close, you know, like, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but in the moment it didn't seem like that. It was just like, okay, he's right there. Here's this camera. Okay. All right. Get the full draw. He's going to be right there and, and shoot him. And, and, and from what you said, like in the other thing where you said like, okay, well this deer is going to die. Like where I got to full draw on this, this other deer, like, I, I'm fairly certain this was the second encounter with that deer because the first sit I had in that, that tree, I had a, uh, or not in that tree, but in that area, I kind of stage hunted out there, but there was this buck chasing does and some of the does came right in and the one peed right in front of me at like 28 yards and he started angling towards him. And I, I mean, literally in my head, I had grabbed my bow and I said, I'm going to kill him right there. Like I knew it wasn't like. I was freaked out like where in the past I would have been like, Oh my God, what do I do? Like whatever it wasn't, there was none of that. And so I think maybe like when you talk about like that, that sort of uh, motivation or like whatever you see as success, like, like for me, that's probably something that I'm overlooking as far as like being successful is like, not necessarily that, you know, I saw the deer that they were there, but like just being able to change my mindset and have actual confidence in like, you know, when he gets there, I'm going to kill him. He just didn't get there, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and when it comes to like the shot, uh, for, for me, it's like, if I grab my bow, if I actually pick it up off the hanger, you know, I have a mind, that's like my trigger, you know, it's like whatever I'm pulling back on, like the goal is to quick, clean kill. You know, it's not like, Oh, I'm going to try and, I have to say, deer, I, I picked the bow up. For me, like, I don't pick my bow up unless I intend to shoot whatever I see. And a lot of guys will pick the bow up whenever deer they see, or girls or whatever. And for me, I don't think that's a good idea. If you got little fawns coming, you, you pick it up. And, I mean, you can see fawns come, your bow can still sit there. But for me, my trigger, my, my kill trigger is I pick the bow up. If I pick that bow up, 
and that thing comes in the wheelhouse, I'm, I'm crushing it. You know, like my buddies, they, every day they say they pick the bell up and they get all, and I, I feel like they get jacked up. They get worked up, you know, because they're, you know, a, a dough comes in. If you don't have, like for me, if I'm in a dough area, I'll kill, if I want to kill dough, like I have to tell myself I'm going to shoot a dough. Like, cause I'm not going to be sitting there at nine o'clock. A dough comes in and shoot it unless, you know, it's injured or something. Like for me, if I want to shoot a dough, I need to be, have my mindset going in that day. I'll kill a dough. Like I'm meat hunting. You know, if I'm in an area where it's bucks, so it's like I'm buck hunting. So I don't even bother picking my belt if it's a doe or anything, you know, or a little buck. That's just something I do that works for me. So that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's a little bit to unpack there because like I can think of situations in the rut where like I think, oh shit, there's deer. (laughs) Like anything can happen. Or when there's several spots where there's. You know, quite a few deer, and when they get in on you, and all of a sudden, then you're starting to reach over and grab a bow when the buck steps out, you know, or pops out. But, but it's still, it's a good, you know, a mental trigger, like you're saying. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of guys too, like they don't work on, you know, uh, like their execution trigger, their their kill trigger. Like, uh, if you, you talk to a lot of hunters, what's your process? I'm gonna go up and shoot it. Like they have no set plans, and I mean, that's the, for me, like, that's the worst, you know, like for me, like I have a, a pick the bell up, like that's the trigger I'm going to kill come the full draw. I love my bow. And then for me, it's like, I take my thumb off the peg and I put my thumb on my finger. Like that is like another cue, like trigger, like, all right, I'm in this, you know? And then I go into my shot thing. Like guys will just shoot like blindly. They pick the bell up and it's like, they don't really like they lose a sense of what they're doing. And I, for me, that would never work. You know, like I, I'm pretty, you know, muscle memory kicks in. Like I like to be the same, how I shoot at home, how I shoot in a tree, you know? And I don't think a lot of people go have the same process. It changes from shot to shot or moment to moment, or I had to make a quick shot because the deer was moving. Well, that's a horrible way to do it. <laughs> you know, like I had the, a split second shoot. Like that is like the worst people you hear people's stories it, i grabbed my bell and i had a split second to shoot the odds of you making a good shot you know it's it there's a good chance you can mess that shot up because you're rushed you know if you're not aware of your surroundings you know or that branch or what, what what's happening around your tree like you're just setting yourself up for disaster and i for me i would personally like i shoot a a, a hooker release guy out of michigan there and i've been at full draw on bucks and I've been so tense, I can't get the shot to go off and deer walks. I'm more content. I'm happy that the shot didn't break. That means I was rushing the shot. And I thought I was going to make a bad shot if the, thing, if the thing did go off. So for me, I'd rather not shoot a deer than shoot something in the guts. You know, or flank it somewhere and watch it, you know, run off injured. I'd rather let it walk off. I'm like, well, yeah, that's on me. I can live with that. The deer's still alive and I was just an idiot for that moment. It's interesting that you say that because I've never really, you know, thought about that. I only, th- I mean, it, it, again, that's one of those things where I think like we dwell on like when shit goes wrong. Like every time that yeah. something goes right, it's like okay, this that was cool, or you know, trying to think back yeah. on all the deer that I've killed with a bow. Like I don't really remember, you know, you know, however many does I've shot or like whatever. But 
I always remember the ones that I screwed up bad. Like, in those ones, I mean, I could go through and just name them off. Bam, 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 bam. But, like, with me, like, I draw back and I get, like, I get down and I make sure that I can see my peep and my bubble and everything. And then, like, that's, like, what I feel like kind of calms me down. I'm like, okay, so I can make this shot. It'll be it'll be okay. But I wanted to ask John, like, so so, so now, like, you're kind of, like, freaking out from, from all of this stuff. But, like, last year you made like one of the most ridiculous processes to, to shoot a deer that I can think of where, you know, you like drew back and like let down or like whatever had to lower your tether so you could shoot underneath. Well, I something. just, I was, I was in the standing position. I just lowered myself. I just went to the kneeling position or, you know, knee against the tree. But yeah, last year, I mean, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to unwrap like the process. Like, right. was it like you had to do something else? So it was like, no, I mean, you mean with my process last year compared to this year? Yeah, yeah. The last year, I mean, I had, I mean, even going into it this year, like when, as building up, you know, like I said, I've rebuilt the bow and did all that. And then they had a bent axle and they had overnight axles to me. So I was working on that literally the week before I'm leaving, which was, you know, and then I worked on the bow like for a whole day and thought I had everything dialed back in, but I still... It wasn't, you know, like my Hoyt. You know what I'm saying? My Hoyt, I have 100% confidence. I mean, I can shoot the bale at 100 yards, you know, and never miss the bag normally. But <laughs> so then, you know, last year when I shot that doe, yeah, it was what, 40, like 47 yards or something. And it was just, and I was waiting, I was filming my son. And he couldn't, he had his bow hanging up in the tree behind <laughs> him, so he couldn't get a shot. So then they got like his wind spooked around, whatever. Everyone's heard the story. And the, but I was, and I was filming. That's what happened was I was, I ranged where she was walking and I'm trying to get her in camera. And I looked down and like, oh, yeah, the deer's still in the viewfinder. I ranged it one more time and I drew back and just went through my shot process. You know, same, I drew back, put, got to my anchor point you know, centered my peep, level everything, and the shot broke, and it was just, I mean, I put, it was just everything worked as normal, and then this year started out, you know, I mean, it started out with the antelope, and watching that arrow fly all like a corkscrew, you know, of course, there was a little bit of shit in the bottom cam, but it was just, that, then it started playing in my head, you know, and then I got out to Ed's house, and started shooting it, and it was terrible, like, I'm, shooting and the arrows is flying i can see the knock just corkscrew it so then it's like i start working on the bow and then all the, then it starts i'm losing confidence you know that stuff just starts playing in my mind you know laying there in bed the night before we left like well I hope it should be fine well you shouldn't go into a hunt with that thought it should be fine or it'll be fine but you know in the back of your head you're thinking and then after I shot, when I started shooting at the grouse and stuff and my arrow, like normally I never have a problem with my arrows hitting, you know, everyone talks about broadhead, fixed blade broadheads are always going to be off a little bit from your field tips. I've always, like with our bows, when we went to Idaho, they were like right on, field tip to broadhead, not much difference, right? 
Yeah, it was cotton fletches, and you're like, "What are you doing? Right, like, don't shoot right. at the same spot." So, and then with this bow, it was literally like three to four inch right from my. I'd shoot a field tip, you know, put it right in the in the ten ring, three to four inches right, or two to three, you know. And it's like, man. So I recited in, and they're consistent, but then it's getting some kind of kick in it, you know. Obviously, that's the arrow flight's not good, and I everything I've I did to that bow. I could not get that out of it. And then I shot that, that mule deer doe. And I was completely calm on that. I mean, I was just, it was me, you know, it wasn't a rush shot. It was just, I'm just going to fill my, you know, deer tag and watch that arrow. At that point I had switched over to lit Knox. It's got a little bit wider throat. So, cause I was getting some string pinch, you know, with my, with the factory Easton Knox. So, I'd swap back out to those, the nocturnals, and I watched that lit knock just like, and you know, hit her back a little bit. Luckily, she was it was a hard, pretty decent quartering away shot, so it still went through her vitals, and she didn't, you know, she didn't last long. She died, and we found her no problem. But that was just another, you know. So it's it's just everything has built up to. Yeah, it's just been building up, building up, and then when the with the elk. That was the first elk I ever drew my bow back on, and it was a nice bow. It's like we had talked about, like, when your opportunity, you know, to shoot a big buck, you don't want it to be your very first opportunity to screw it up. You know, you need some under your belt. Well, you know, I've only been elk hunting twice, and here's a really nice bull. At least I'm pretty sure he was a 6x6. Six six. If I could zoom up on, the, you know, that film, I could see if he's got double brows or not. But And everything was just going through my head and I just, I didn't even, I didn't even go through my shot process. I don't I just, it was just like I fucking blanked out. Just big bull, got to kill him. And bad shot, shot him right through the top of the back. So how do you break out of that, Greg? Like that, you know, you're hearing this and you're probably just rubbing your forehead there going, oh my God, like what a, what, what a, a year. <laughs> Uh, it, you just gotta, you know, it's, it's like, let it go. You know, each shot is a new shot. Like if you, if the you know, shot goes offline, you gotta look at it and be like, all right, I can't let that happen again. Try to learn from it, you know, and make sure you're aware of it, but that's not your main goal. You know, your main goal is to execute a good shot. But I think a lot of people will dwell on the bad shots, you know, and that's a bad habit to get into. You know, it's like in the, that hour is in the past. Like you can't change it. Think about it. You know, watering that seed isn't going to make it come back. You know, so you got to be like, all right, that's not going to happen again. You know, and that's very hard for some people because I don't think they practice it or, or train it on a regular basis. They like they train it in the summertime, you know, or when they're shooting in, in the back with their friends or, or maybe some 3D shoots. Like once hunting season rolls around, most people stop shooting their bow. They start taking shortcuts. They're tired. I don't have time to shoot my bow. I'd rather go hunting. Like you got to stay busy and shoot your bow. You know, even just that, you know, the old one hour a day, you know, or two hours a week or something, make those shots like like super important. I know for me, like once hunting season starts, like I don't shoot my bow a lot. Uh, You know, just one or two hours a week is enough to. No, I'm still good, you know? 
So, like, John's a lot like you are in a sense of, like, an equipment-based guy. Like, you know, know your equipment inside and out, all that. I mean, yep. and you to the point where you're shooting a a solid freaking release that has no <laughs> moving parts. That's like, it can't, yeah. I mean, outside of shooting fingers or something, like, there is not a, <laughs> another you know, way to remove variables. So like, have you encountered it in the past where you have had an uh, equipment issue where like you couldn't get it out of your head or like something like that? Yeah. uh, So I've had it like uh, competing. Like I'll I'll get it because everything's so micromanaged. You know, everything's down, those perfect dialed in and then like, um, like a str- like two strands, or, or you see like a little bit of uh, like a strand break on the strings, but your peep rotates a little bit. So as you draw as you draw back, and that peep kind of slides a little bit, you're like, "Fuck my peep sight," and the moment's already gone because you're not focusing on the target. You're like, "Fuck my peep sight," you know. So, or you know, I've had you know my rest move. You're shooting, and then you're shooting like really well, and something happens, then you're like, you get it back, good to go, and then you're like focus on the rest a lot. You know, or, or your D loop breaks, and you get all frustrated because the D loop breaks. You know, instead of like, well, it's, it's equipment is going to break from time to time. Like, you can't allow it to get in your head. You know, it's it, it is it's very hard, especially like when you when you open that door because we are very we're, we're negative based. You know, we love that negative you know feedback or negative reinforcement. Human beings in general. So you open that door, it's like, oh, yeah, it's the bow's fault. It's this fault. No, it's not. Like, you just, you just got to stop all that stuff, fix the bow, and get it shooting good and be like, I'm killing it. Like, I'm crushing it. Well, there you go, John. I mean, it- well, I did it when I got <laughs> when I got back after the first, what was it, two weeks? Or no, it was more than that. When I got back to Ed's house, I took my PSE and put it back put it in the box and I pulled out the Hoyt. I did the Hoyt had just did my single pin on it. So I did swap out, put the, my five pin slider on there. And it, so I had to go through and recite it all in, get the pin gapping. But then yeah, when I got that done and I was shooting, I mean, and it was just money. And I went, I was going to go back out, you know, for three days solo and it just ended up, you know, the weather was, you know, it was, it got co- way colder and then, the elk were all in private anyway, so I was like, ended up just, you know, cutting my trip a little bit short. But I, at that point, when I went out with that bow, I was like, what Greg is saying. I had, I'm like, I'm gonna go kill something now. No more fucking around. I'm gonna go kill yep. something. And then, and you know, I started. I've been since I got home. I've been shooting. You know, my bow is still in the truck. I was at the club the other night. And this is, I, you know, I'm shooting the PSE, still just trying to, you know, work out the bugs with that bow. But I've just lost a lot of confidence in it. Just, I never had a bow that I can't get shooting, you know, get that tune out of it. It's getting, it's getting, yeah. gets I was trying to bear shaft. I had a bear shaft tune to 20 yards and. I was grouping them right in there, and then I moved back to the 35-yard mark, and, and I'm indoors, and now, yeah. and then all of a sudden it's I – mean, I guess I was – maybe it was me. I'm getting tired. 35 yards is a long shot for a bear shaft, you know, trying to tune it. Everything's yeah. got to be right on money. But it consistently was hitting like six or eight inches low right. 
compared to, from 20 to 35, you know? And so like, well, I had built up a little bit of confidence at that 20 yard mark. Then when I moved back thinking, okay, we'll see how this goes. And then it was way off. I'm like, Oh, son of a bitch. It's not, but yeah, that's, that's a, that's a dangerous game. Like bear shafting. It, it's tough to bear shaft. So I've had a bow. I couldn't get bear shaft past 15, but that thing threw whatever broadhead you put on it. Great. Like a four flats, you know, uh, a three flat helical. I was shooting the forge veins with a with a hard helical, mm-hmm. and it just cleaned whatever needed to be cleaned up. And that bow just was great. And for me, it's like you know, if I can bear shaft at fifteen, like that's kind of like my, my spin. Like I like to go twenty five, but if I can get it to shoot at fifteen, I'll throw some fletchings on it and put some broadheads on it and, and let it rip. And usually, you can kind of tweak the rest a little bit, and you can. I've really simplified my tuning process uh, as the, the older I get because of time. And I just want to maximize. Like, I want to have fun shooting. I don't want to tinker to the point where it's exhausting. You know, like, I'm, like, micro-tuning like everything. I ain't got time for that anymore. Like, I did all that stuff, and it's cool. It was fun. But I'd rather just, just shoot. <laughs> right. You know, if I got to bump my rest, you know, a little bit to get my broadheads to be shooting or my broadheads, and field points are, are within an inch of one another, you know, I'm happy with that. Like, I can live with that, you know, because, you know, it's, I got a, a, a figure a three-inch, you know, plus or minus window left or right or up and down, and I'm still killing that deer. Right. You know, and it made, it made fun, for me, it made shooting more enjoyable, uh, especially like my hunting bow, like this carbon uh, icon I got, like, it's just such a great bow. Like it's just me and the bow just mesh well. It's fun to shoot, even though it's light. I mean, I was shooting 75 yards, 80 yards with my sight bulb. I was using my sight bulb with 80, and I was stacking them. Broadheads at 80 yards. I'm like, this is just fun shooting. And like, it felt cool to shoot my bow all the time. I wasn't like expecting these awesome groups. It was like, whatever. You know, some days are better than others, and it's it, it was nice actually to have a. a to have fun shooting my bow and tuning it and not feel like I had to be super precise, if you will. Right. It's funny when you were talking about like being out on the target course, you know, and like how you said, well, you're already out of the moment and like, it's already like screwed up. Like I couldn't help but think of like the shit that you see in movies or like the stuff that you tell your kids like, Oh, Hey, Hey, you're, you're a little off balance. Put this rock in your pocket. It'll make you make a better shot. <laughs> Cause it's like, you know, it, there is so much like mental. If you can just say, okay, well this will make me shoot better. It's like the, the placebo. Thing, well, yeah. And it's, but it's like when, you know, when you're fishing, like, Oh, you're holding your mouth wrong, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like piss on your finger, like that type of shit. That's completely irrelevant, but it breaks you out of that. Mental, like that, that mental, yeah. mental and game. For, and a lot of too, like for me, like I had that shoulder injury. So I didn't shoot probably, I don't even know, from March till August. I don't think I really shot my bow at all or any bow for that matter. Cause I was having the shoulder issues and then having that time away, like reset, like the mental reset wasn't, I wasn't doing anything. Like I, like I come into it with a fresh open mind, like sometimes putting the bow down for a week, no shooting, just letting everything just like disappear is a, it's a good mental reset, physical mental reset because picking up bad habits, bad mental, physical habits, it happens fast, man. Like you don't realize that it happens and you're like, why am I doing this? 
Like, what is going on? You figure out what's going on. You're like, how did it even get to this point? And it's so quick when it happens. You know, like you'll train for three or four months to fix a problem. And then you'll pick up a bad habit in like four shots. <laughs> and then it's like, you're down that rabbit hole. You're like, what the fuck happened? Like, I was so good yesterday or the day before. Like, what is happening? You know, and for me, like the it, putting the bow down is like the best thing. You know, it's just mental reset for a week. Just don't even shoot my bow. You know, and that's why I don't hunt season. I don't really shoot a lot, but I don't want to pick up bad habits. And I go out and I'll shoot my one arrow. If it's off, I'm like, mm, I'll shoot another arrow. And use that and correct it. I'm like, I'm good. Just leave it be. You know, so the, that way I'm not constantly just, you know, in a, in a state of, uh, am I doing this right? You know, am I, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing right? So one of the things I wanted to get back to, we were talking a little bit about like that, starting that process and like when you pick up your bow one of the things that i'm like like i've seen a post on facebook the other day where they were talking about like what are your goals like your your hunting goals you know and guys were saying like i want to kill a booner i want to hunt deer in all 50 states you know uh, you know all these different things like i would like to shoot a deer off the ground like that's that's one of my goals is to I'd, i'd like to kill an elk with a bow and i'd like to shoot a deer off of the ground and uh, never done it. I don't think I've, uh, I, yeah, t- uh, 2017 I had the worst season of my life and I missed a deer twice, two or three times right. off the ground. Um, and it turned out that when I got over there, I thought I had hit the deer, but it had an arrow in it already. And I actually hit yeah. the arrow that was in it. And <laughs> so when I got over there, I found my arrow with no blood on it. And I had white fletchings, white cresting, like the whole works no blood, but there's blood in the snow. And I'm like, what the fuck? But (laughs) beyond that, like I've never shot at a deer from the ground or anything like that. So that's like one of my goals. So like, did you find that deer? No, it ran away. I like chased it down and then it ran off. And so I was like, well, I'll come back after I hunt and see like, what is the story? And I didn't know that it had been hit. My brother and brother-in-law, Chris were out wandering around. They're like, did you shoot a deer tonight? And I'm like, well, they asked me what color of fletching I was using. I'm oh, like, they're okay. white. And I'm like, they're like, well, did you shoot a deer tonight? And I'm like, not exactly. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I told them the story and they're like, they were maybe 500 yards down the way out scouting and looking around when they jumped up this deer that had this arrow orange it. arrow as a crossbow bolt stuck in its back hip. And so when I shot at this deer quartering away, you hit the fletching. I hit the fletchings and it dove down underneath it, but it must have wiggled it enough so that a couple drops of blood came out in the snow. <laughs> and I'm like, what in the fuck? What are the odds of that? I Exactly. You know, just <laughs> the most randomest, like, thing possible. But, but so, like, when you're talking about picking up your bow, like, on the ground, if you're not still hunting, so, like, you're sitting behind this oak tree, and if you've been watching any of the hunting public's videos recently, like... Zach was just rattling and doing, they, I mean, they've been doing some ridiculous rattling, mm-hmm. but his bow was on the other side, you know, and that deer runs up like that, that three foot deer you're talking about yeah. and his bows behind him, you know? So how are you like setting up on the ground, um, for these, these setups? Like for, I mean, cause I sat the salt marsh uh, a few times on the ground this year and I have a little stool and I have a, a ground peg and it's a little bow holder. You know, it's got a little, you know, I stick it in the ground and 
I set the bow in it and I pretty much set it up where much like in my saddle where I, when I set the, the strap up, like the handles, like I don't really have to move. I just have to go for it. And I keep the bow like in between my legs for the most part, or sometimes uh, I'll put it to like my, uh, on the outside of my left leg so I can drop down to one knee and, and kind of shoot. Like I keep it where cause on the ground, you know, and like in the, especially in the marsh, I don't really have much cover. I got like a little patch of reeds or something. So my movement has to be bare minimum and it, it's difficult. It sucks because you get picked off 90% of the time. And like it's a, you, you can't really make a mistake. You have to literally be perfect, you know? And for me, when I hunt the ground, like in a rut, it's different because they're kind of running from all over. But like in the early season, when they're a little more predictable, I like to set up where if I want to be on a deer trail, like they're kind of quartering away from me, you know. Uh, so that way I can move a little bit more. Like I'd rather shoot a deer at 25 quartering away than 15 broadside because that's why I won't get picked off. And I think uh, like a lot of people, you know, and I think that's, I learned that from my dad too. When you sit from the ground, like you got to be ready all the time. You, know, you can't like reach for your bow. You can't really move a lot. Like have some good back cover, you know, sitting on a stool, uh, either some reeds in front of you or like in a little ditch. So somewhere and, and you're just, you have to be on high alert all the time. And like in a tree stand, you know, and saddle, like elevated, you can get away with movement from the ground. Like you, it's super hard. Uh, especially, you know, like a lot of times you, if the deer's coming at you like that's like the worst because you're like shit like it's like just bowing right down at you and you're like i can't even move and you know if they get in front of you like walking at you you know we're just a giant blob you know it never works out well for me in the marsh because i just don't have the cover for it so from when i hunt the ground i'm even from years of hunting in the marsh and the ground and, and I, I take it into the woods i find myself setting up the same way even if I got back cover, like I really don't want to move. Like I put my backpack to the right. I know where all my, like I got to drop my arm down and get my, get my water. Like I keep everything super compact, narrow and keep my minimal, you keep my silhouette as small as possible and keep my movements, you know, as, as, you know, light as possible. If that makes any sense. Yeah. And, and so when you're hunting these like salt marshes, because like, it sounds like, you know, you're hunting this, this unicorn, it seems like, yeah. uh, uh, somewhat of a lower percentage hunt to a degree. Like how do you make the decision to, to subject yourself to that? I guess, um, in a sense of like, are there different areas that have different tags at different times? And so sometimes that's open or it just seems to be like the best wind for a spot that you've got down there. Yeah. Like, uh, like now I'm more into the, the trail camera phase. So I, I usually have an idea of, you know, from time stamping, all right, bucks start showing up in this area, second week of November and this salt marsh, you know, the, there's a, a big doe population. So first week of November. And I usually, cause some spots are only good for a couple of days and then it's, it's, there's nothing there, nothing worth shooting anyway. So that's where camera Intel comes in on a, I do it, you know, on a three to four year pattern. You're like, all right, these bucks are doing this for three years. Odds are next year is going to be the same thing. You know, and, and you kind of try to hedge your bets. You get the right tide, the right wind for those three days, which sometimes you don't. Like, like was it last year? Had a great spot. 
when I was off, the wind was awful and the tide was awful. I didn't have a chance to hunt it because I had to take the canoe in with the tide, you know, sit on the ground and take the canoe back out. And the camera was there. The camera got good deer, but the wind was always wrong. So I was like, well, I can't really. That's out of my control. But it's, uh, you know, the, the, the low percentage areas, it's, I want to do something that 99% of the population can't do. Not because they, they can't do it, because they won't do it, I guess is probably a better way to, like, they won't subject themselves to that type of torture. For me, like, I, I like that. Like, I like that misery and pain, I guess. <laughs> like, it's not for everybody. You know, that's for, bell hunting the salt marsh isn't for everybody. It's a, a labor of love, passion, and stubbornness. So, so you mentioned the, the, the trail cameras there and that, so yeah. the deer were there. It was just a bad wind for you to exit or enter and exit and the bad tide for getting in there. Cause it seems like that's one thing, you know, when we're looking at trail camera pictures and stuff like that, we're looking at, okay, what are these doing, these deer doing and what was the wind at that time? Because, you know, sometimes we're near bedding or whatever. So we're thinking, okay, well, they're, the deer are using the wind, but a lot of times the deer are just going to move, be moving through these areas anyway. Yeah. You know, and the wind just aids them in, you know, staying alive essentially. So, yeah. So is that the case that the deer were, were there regardless of the wind? It was just a bad for you to set up. Well, it's a, you have said a, a great win for him because a lot of, like I, I hunt, the, you know, the, the off wind, like a lot of my spots, it's most people won't hunt them because it's a terrible one for humans. Well, it's a great wind for the deer. So you got to find that little turn in the trail where you can get that little, uh, you know, get your scent. Hopefully it, it doesn't blow down that trail or across that trail. So like I hunt the off winds a lot, you know, like, uh, old school miles Keller tactic, you know, the, cause the deer are going to move through there. Like you can't hunt the deer on the wind that's good for you. You got to hunt it for the wind that's good for them. And a lot of people, I think, mistake that. I got any Northwest wind. Well, that bucks, that's a great wind for you. It's awful wind for the deer. So why would he bed there in Northwest wind? Well, it's good for me. Yeah. But would the deer be there in Northwest wind? And that's where camera data comes in and you'll see you like, are they like a Northeast wind? Always see that deer on a northerly based wind, Northeast, Northwest, Southwest, nothing. So, you take that data, you know, and you look at the tide. All right, you know, full moon, super high tide, super moon. They're coming off these islands because the islands get flooded. They come off early. Well, all right, I got to be there earlier, you know, in the day. It's like there's a whole lot of variables to the salt marsh that uh, like a swamp hunter don't have or like just the inland reeds or cattail guys don't have to deal with. You know, I'm pretty much like a duck hunter, but I'm really a deer hunter because you got to play the tide, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I was I was guessing that when you were saying you want to shoot these deer, like, quartering away, because I'm, like, thinking about, like, yeah. how the hell are you entering, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, like, picture a scenario of, like, where yeah. the deer is, and, like, for you to enter and exit, like, without spooking the deer, the wind would have to be, like, perpendicular to that quartering away, and, like, yeah. they'd be, like, because the deer is essentially coming from behind you, just, <laughs> just off, which... Is kind of yeah. like counterintuitive to the way that most people would set up. Yeah, and for me too, and like uh, you know, something that I that I've done because you know, once you get that close to bedding, sometimes like they know, 
that some deer is going to smell you there and, and, and you know, other deer is going to smell you. If I'll actually cross a deer trail where I want the deer to stop because, you know, and then I'll touch a few branches. So hopefully they smell the other side of the trail so I can, I can get, a, you know, draw back a little bit, you know, like there's some tactics that, you know, I've been tinkering with throughout the years and trying to really find something that works. You know, if I got to cross a trail, that's have to be, you know, that's where I have to shoot. You know, before I cross it, like I'll touch the other side of the trail. So another say they're coming from, you know, my left to right. Well, I got to cross that trail at 20 yards. Well, I'll touch all that stuff on the left side of the trail. So if he goes up, he smells it, he stops, you know, it takes his eyes off of me and I can maybe get a shot off. You know, it's, it's a crazy thing I've been working on and shot a few does doing that, you know, it's just never had a, a, a buck coming to do that. So I know it works for deer, just haven't seen a buck <laughs> big enough to shoot. That's, I mean, <laughs> I would say that that's where the, the full-time deer hunter in you comes out, right? Cause like I, I couldn't even, <laughs> I would say that 90% of the population isn't thinking in that sort of terms. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, you know, when, the, cause the cattail, like the salt marsh is called salt, you know, marsh grass, where it's only like 12 inches high. And then you got like the little bit pox of cattail. Well, these deer will, they don't want, want to be out in the open. So when they cross these little open spots where it's a good to shoot at, it's great for me, horrible for them. So they'll actually cut across these little open spots fast because they don't want to be exposed. Well, the only way to stop this deal is to leave your scent there. Hopefully that stops them for a second or slows them down you can actually get a shot off because ain't nothing worse than a buck coming. Like I'm going to shoot this deer. And then once it hits a little, it gets real sparse covered or cyanora, man, they're out. <laughs> and then you're like, Hey, thanks. Never see you again. Awesome. And they, 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 they run to the next little patch of a uh, reeds or, or, you know, whatever they can get some cover. You know, it's, uh, it's just different things that I, that I've tried every year. Like I said, I've been hunting, weird, strange ways ever since I can remember, you know, and 99% of them are failures, but it's also cool to, when something does work, they're like, oh, that's pretty cool, you know, or like setting up in a spot, like this isn't going to work. And the deer will actually come through, not as you expected, you know, they kind of come down like head on the ground and they're trying to just get across this, this open spot real fast. They're not really paying attention. So the deer's moving pretty fast. Like you could move fast on your draw, you know? So there, you, you find out you, 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 years of hunting these marshes, you know, they come through this area pretty fast. Well, all right. I got decent cover. Well, he's moving. Well, I can move a little bit too. You know, like, like the white tail drilling guys, like the deer's moving. Well, they'll move because as the deer's moving to going through brush, it's not like a, they don't have a clear sight picture because they got everything's happening in their face. So, if they're moving in some heavy cover, like you can move, you know, you can draw your bow, pick a bow up or stand up. You don't have a shot, you know, and you got to try something to make that shot happen. You know, and like the uh, white tail drilling guys are, you know, even like the hunting public now, like there's a lot of times that don't work out, but the times that it does work out is like, that's awesome, man. Like you did something that was, you know, different and unique. And so you've got, You've killed two great bucks this year, I would say. I mean, I, I I know you're pretty happy with them. What what does the rest of your season look like 
going into, you know, for, for your job, the uh, busiest season of the year? I'm pretty much done until January. Like, I might get out here and there half a day, you know. Um, and, I, like, right now I just rely on, on camera intel. And, I mean, not to jinx myself, but I haven't seen a mature deer in January in probably a decade. Like a big deer. I mean, I've seen some nice deer. You know, I had that half busted up half rack, I think, or busted up deer last year came through super fast. Uh, I wasn't ready in the, in, the, in the marsh, you know, and he just went by my shooting lane too fast. But to see like a true whopper, it's been over a decade. So my goal is to shoot a mature deer in January, be it from the ground or tree or whatever, whatever needs to be done. And I found some sheds and some out, out in the marsh and I'm going to camera bomb the shit out of them after gun season. And I know the bucks are coming in there after gun season or, or, or something. And hopefully I just get something, a picture of a big deer. Cause you know, last year I, I didn't get one picture of anything worth shooting in December, January. So it's hard you know, like mentally, cause it's like, I was going to shoot some does, Well, I got afraid of full of meat. So it's like my January is like, I'm not really going to shoot some does. I don't have a place to put the meat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Three deer this year, you know, and the, I mean, the, the, the buff in Pennsylvania, I mean, I got a lot of meat back from that thing. Like a lot. I went to a different butcher and I'm like, Oh, I think my last butcher has been ripping me off. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> so it's like, I can eat deer meat. We like we can eat deer meat, you know, every day for probably like the next three months. I'd probably still have deer meat. So for that, for that, that goal or like how you're you're setting up on that, it, does it all then depend on the cameras? I mean, is that going to be what what yeah. puts you in an I, area? I, like, if you don't see anything on the camera, are you gonna like be less likely to hunt? Yeah, like I said it's. Uh, if nothing there worth shooting, why am I going to waste my time? And like I said, and I learned from like, like Johnny Stewart and, you know, my buddy Rick of Long Island, like good camera intel is important because, and, and how you set your cameras up. Like before I'd set like one camera in area or two, now I'll set about like six. You know, so it's like guaranteed one of those six cameras has got to get something because you're just like camera bombing this whole section. If I'm not getting anything that's like, Oh, I'm going to wake up, you know, go hunt some freezing cold weather to see nothing or see some does. It's hard. Like I said, the, the motivation got a bad if there's nothing that you want to shoot, like a bunch of year and a half. So I don't really care to see a year and a half. Like it just doesn't, you know, it has no draw for me, uh, personally. So, I mean, I'll go out cause I like hunting, you know, and I'll still scout and maybe scout new areas, you know, maybe get lucky or something. Uh, stumble upon a deer, but I'm really going to try and rely on my camera intel uh, this year. I got two spots. I'm going to just put out, you know, a, ten cameras or so between the two spots, and hopefully I get something. And you what, know, what's the schedule then that you're checking those cameras at? I mean, I can't imagine that you got. I mean, maybe you got ten cell cameras, but that seems expensive. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get to see this cameras because if they get stolen, I don't feel like burning the woods down. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I just check them, you know, like in the wintertime, it's, 
because usually by January they're going to be on the food source. So I, I got two spots where I found them sheds. I know they bed there when the food's there. Well, the food has been the same this year that it was the years I found those sheds. So odds are if a buck's a mature buck's in the area, he's going to be bedding somewhere near there. So I'll put it on those food sources. Um, not too close to bedding. I want to be within, you know, I don't want to get super close to bedding and blow them out. Like I have an idea where they're bedding, you know, with, because of the sheds and mature deer. So I'll just put it on the food or trails, you know, coming somewhat close to bedding. And if I got, you know, four cameras and, you know, and especially out in the marsh, you know, there's only so many trails these deer are going to use coming out of these bedding areas, getting in the woods. You know, like, so I'll set them up on high probability areas, you know, uh, like ditch crossings. I'll put on the, some ditch crossings near a parking lot. Cause if I know I got a, a buck crossing this ditch before he crosses the road, I have a good idea where he's bedding on either side of the road. Um, I've been so kind of perfecting that and trying to really use cameras to their full advantage for, for the winter. Uh, but like I said, the cameras I got aren't the best. So I'll get like blurry pictures sometimes. I'm like, is that a buck or just blur? So I, I might have to invest in some um, better cameras, uh, for this plan to actually like really take hold. Cause I'll probably get one opportunity on that deer in the month of January, maybe two if it's super cold and there's good food, but we don't really get super cold for more than like two or three days. And it's kind of warms back up. Uh, so these deer are not really super, you know, like, like you guys, it gets, you know, we might get a 15 degree day with the wind, but it's usually like a two or three day. And then it's, it's back up to 40. So these deer don't necessarily have to move. Uh, but only like a few days out of January, you know, maybe only a handful of days. So I can't really make too many mistakes. So I got to be like super on point because by then, you know, by January, they're on high alert, they're super skittish, and usually they're herded up with the does. So you, not only you got to beat the buck, but also you got to beat the 80 fucking does that are living there too. <laughs> and that seems to be the, uh, the hardest part. Yeah, yeah, I'll see a buck, you know, off of the distance or on my camera, and you hunt it, and it's just all does. Like, you just can't beat that many does. So when are you going in yeah. and checking these cameras? High windy days, uh, and like I said, in middle of the day. Um, sometimes I'll, I, I've got into checking them at you know, 2 o'clock in the morning. 12 o'clock at night, I'll wake up and, and go check cameras. It, it, sometimes that's like the only option you got because you need to have the feed through that area and then go check the cameras real fast. You know, like a super windy day or you get the rainy day or snow's coming or something, I'll check all my cameras. Like I'll really burn them in oil, so to speak, and use the weather and wind. Like windy, I, lo- I love going out windy days checking cameras. You know, try and stay as scent free as possible, wear rubber gloves, you know, rubber boots, chest waders or whatever, keep your scent to a minimum and, you know, hope for the best, so to speak. Because it's not the, the bucks I'm worried about bumping, it's the does alerting, you know, getting the does on high alert. Because we all know those days where the does start blowing and they just 
you know, keep blowing for the next 30 fucking minutes, 90 fucking times. Then that's like the worst. It's like a death sentence in January. One, one dose starts blowing and there's like random dose, like everywhere start blowing. It's like, Oh, it's a party. Awesome. I guess I'll just get down and go home now. So if there's a buck that's been around for years, he's like, I'm not leaving till dark. <laughs> I think that's one of the things that I can like, I don't know, probably for every hunter that's hunted the late season, but that's the one thing. It seems like there's no leaves. There's no anything. There's a big blanket of like crunchy snow. And then you hear one deer blow and it seems like every deer within a square mile is blowing. <laughs> and like, I, I mean, I can picture it in my head. I can see like what exactly, like what it looks yeah. like and how it feels like right, right now. <laughs> and that is, and that is the worst too. Cause you have, you have the dough that will blow. And then she'll run away and she'll come back. And she goes, I want to find out what made me, you know, nervous. So, and sometimes she'll bring friends with her. And it's like, why are you coming back to danger? Because now it's like, all right, now I have to shoot you. And I really don't want to shoot you because it's cold. I really want to drag you out. But out of sheer principle, I have to shoot you. So then you're in the old Mexican standoff, you know, like down from the ground a lot in the wintertime. And like they come out through, it's like, you're almost getting ready to draw. And they all look at you and then you're like, Mid draw freezing. I'm not moving. You move. You know. <laughs> I've been there before. <laughs> well, man, we are rooting for you. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I'm trying. Like I said, that's the the goal is to shoot a mature buck. You know, in January. Uh, I've yet to do that in my 30 years of of doing this. So I won't be. For me, I won't be a complete bow hunter until I kill something lazy. <laughs> That's the, the, the trifecta, huh? Well, maybe, I mean, next yeah. year, maybe you need to just take all that vacation that you use during the rut and, you know, for yourself, for leading up to Thanksgiving, and you put that January 1st through the 15th. and Come to Michigan. Yeah. It's, uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. Yeah, you know, and. It's it's tough too because January are still a lot of muzzleloader days, so there's a lot of guys out with muzzleloaders. So you know there's just a lot of competition. You know, bird hunters, rabbit hunters. Like January is a very active hunting month here in Jersey because it's cool. People will be goose hunting, you know, duck hunting, you know, rabbit hunting. Uh, so muzzleloader hunting. So it's it's extremely you know trying times for. Like I don't bait, so it's it's super difficult to get on these deer, you know. Like I said earlier, because the, the bait people you know change up their bait all the time. So these does like oh, I'm betting here, you know. And the buck like oh, I'm with the does, and you know you don't. A week goes by, you, your cameras are dead, and then you you see them in the field across the street, and there's a giant pile of sweet potatoes, and you're like, well, I can't compete with that, you know. Like you're on private now, and I can't do anything with that. <laughs> Right. Well, we love following along with everything that you do. Like I said, just for the whole demeanor of it, just for like the deadpan humor of the <laughs> the, the public land experience. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> stubborn, yeah, sheer stubbornness. <laughs> so where can everybody follow along with you uh, for this? And honestly, I was just going to I was going to tell you, like, I love like your logo. Like you need to get some shirts or hats or something. I'd definitely rock a, yeah. a hoodie with the the bow hunting fiend. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. I had some made up last year, like last February, and they did not turn out like the design that we agreed upon. And it was like, 
uh, like I spent a good amount of money and I can't even like, I end up throwing them away because they're so horrible. Like I could not put something out there. I'm like, that was a lot of money. I just kind of threw down the drain. Like they were, they were that bad. It was like, what the fuck is this? And they're like, well, this is what you agreed upon. I'm like, it's not. And then me and the soap screener got into it and it was like, it's just a losing battle because they're not going to give my money back and I get angry. It's like, whatever, like go fuck yourself. <laughs> so I, I took a, a $500 hit on some shitty ass hoodies last year. And my wife was like, you spent $500 in that? I was like, well, yeah. She goes, okay. And you know, you know, you get that look and it's like, <laughs> yeah, I got to wait a little bit before I do that. That's why I'm going to work a lot this winter, you know, this, <laughs> this coming month. You know, that way it comes out of my pocket and not our budget. <laughs> right. So so where can people follow along with you? Instagram, Bowhunting Teen. Uh, I, I need to get back into Like I said, I just started, like, filming again a little bit more this year. So hopefully I'll have some funny shit and maybe some how-tos and, and bullshit uh, as, as a, once the season ends. Because I get asked all the time, like, why – how I do certain things. And I was never one guy to make videos like that, but people seem to ask for it uh, from time to time. So I figured I'd make some on how I use like the, the saddles and the steps and some of my quirks, I guess, in the woods. But yeah, YouTube, Instagram, the one theme. Awesome. Numerous podcasts. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to catch up after, uh, after January so you can tell us your your big buck salt marsh yeah january unicorn exactly story. <laughs> i want to kill something even if i got mowing down my truck i'm still gonna tag it in <laughs> oh man well i think that's all we got for tonight greg i do appreciate it all right man see you guys yep, yep. yep.